What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 locked. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 77, and we'll be talking about Stargate SG-1's episode, The Serpent's Venom. We are an independent podcast, and you can help to keep this thing independent uh, by finding us on Patreon. That's uh, patreon.com slash walking through the Stargate. And uh, I usually put the link in the show notes if you are interested in that way. The support keeps the show going. Uh, it, the, nominally, we are uh, we're keeping the support thing going until we receive enough cashola to offset uh, Zach's recent computing device expense. Um, thank you so much to everybody who is contributing it is significantly awesome. And we are very appreciative. We're appreciative to everybody, frankly, but, uh, you know, those that are willing to throw some bucks our way, that's, that's extra nice. Thank you so much. Uh, you friends will always be able to find our podcasts wherever podcasts are sold. Uh, Google podcast, Apple podcast, Spotify podcasts, <laughs> uh, your favorite podcast aggregator. It's all going to be there. Uh, even the special shows that we create and put up on Patreon first. Hey, hey there's your little, uh, there's your reason to join. Uh, we'll eventually put on the main feed as well. So, um, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be great. And, um, yeah, so uh, don't forget uh, about the uh, dramatic recreation of Apple Podcast Reviews. And also don't forget, for our international listeners, we can't see your review. So if you make a screenshot of your review and you send it to us, unadulterated, uh, I will put it into a Google Translate layer, which I'm just realizing just now. I'm going to have to hand type this out, Zach. That, that, this is not the best idea, but whatever. We'll figure it out. Um, put it put it straight into a translator that undoubtedly doesn't get the nuance of your uh, of your language, and then we'll just it'll be we'll just have a great time with it. And then Zach, <laughs> if they wanted to uh, send us that screenshot, uh, how might they do that? Well, if you were going to send write us a review in a place that's not the United States, and then subsequently send us the screenshot of your review for us, then the best place to do that would be to email us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. That is W-A-L-K-I-N-G-T-H-R-O-U-G-H-D-H-E-S-T-A-R-G-A-T-E at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. I did that without action and extra breath in there. I'm impressed with myself there. Yeah, uh, that was super uh, good. I was like, oh, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. Oh, I made it. <laughs> <laughs> you did it. You did it, Zach. Yay. Nice. All right. So you can email us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. Um, if you want to get a hold of us, uh, that's a great place to do that. You can also talk to us on Twitter at Stargate Walking mm-hmm. or on mm-hmm. Facebook, the Walking Through the Stargate Facebook page and Facebook group. Uh, we've had some chatter on the Facebook group this week, which is great. Um, so keep it up. Uh, I don't pay enough attention to Twitter to know what's happening there. I'm sorry. That's Brent's task. and, and It's I, mine. We, and yeah, it's relatively quiet. It's all good. Yeah, it's usually just um, folks indicating that they are they're taking a listen to our podcast, which is fantastic. Which Super we good. love. Thank Absolutely. you very much for listening to our podcast. We appreciate. It. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brent, speaking of emails, we have mm-hmm. an email that we do need to address uh, this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, last week we talked about the episode "The Curse," and you really did not much like the curse. I believe you gave it a three chevron rating. Yeah, no, I gave it, it five and a half chevrons, so it's much higher up for me than it is for you. And mm-hmm. uh, one of our listeners, JD, thought that this was an excellent episode. I believe yes. he wanted to give it sevens all around, and uh-huh, we challenged uh-huh. JD to tell us what he thought about it. And we yeah. are going to, and he he took us up on that, and he emailed ah! us. Good. Uh, so, 
Here we go. Here are some <laughs> of his reasons. Some of them okay. are not Brent safe, and I'll skip those, but we'll go with the oh ones my. that are Brent safe. Okay. Number one, <laughs> Daniel is acting strangely. I know this was mm-hmm. a reason Brent knocked the show, but he's not yeah. seen the. Uh, but Daniel hasn't seen these people in over a decade. We know that Daniel has been traveling the galaxy, saving the world, and having his theories proven correct time and time again. These people are the same people that thought he was crazy when he talked about oh, the pyramids yeah. and aliens. He knows yeah, that yeah. in their mind, he's the aliens guy. Uh, that okay. Plus the general weirdness of a 10-year reunion. Let's be honest, that 10 or more year reunion is always a little awkward. Oh, yeah. We get that. Knowing the way Michael Shanks takes his acting, I bet it was an acting choice to be a bit more stunted and on his back foot. That's I can buy one. that. I can buy All that. Right. Okay. Number two. Number two, tonal shift. We've had mysteries in the Stargate canon before, but this is our first whodunit. Misdirection, red herrings, Mm -hmm. femme fatale, Mm -hmm. and a bevy of other noir tropes are performed and done well. I think Mm -hmm. this was a big deal for Brent in particular because he came in expecting a regular Stargate episode Uh and got something unexpected. Brent even said as much in the wrap-up portion where he said he thinks he'd like the episode more on a second watch. Okay. Okay. I And the the the, the film noir thing, yeah, as I'm kind of thinking about it, the, yeah, especially the middle part. Yep. Oh, anyway, okay, so, carrying on. Okay. okay. We've got a couple more. Uh, three, the big setup. Since Zach talked about this, I'm not earmuffing this one. Uh, we've got a much more interesting bad guy setup than Apophis, uh, who will True. see in and out for a little while longer. Uh, you know, not only is she being the bad guy, is she not only is she good at being the bad guy, but she's more relatable than the bad guys we have seen on the show so far. So there you well, go. Right, yeah. This is that episode that sets up a big bad for us that actually has some teeth in the relatability category. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh And finally, four, he says, Stargate takes chances. I did not know, says JD, that the guy that directed this wasn't one of the normal directors. Stargate Mm. is an impressive show that they uh, not only took a chance on a director, but the writers also are early in their Stargate careers with only three writing credits in Stargate before this. Mm -hmm. This actually Mm -hmm. solidifies my seven since I didn't know this Mm -hmm. information before your episode. All right. There you go. Yeah. And he goes yeah. on. He's got a couple more earmuffs that we can't talk about with Brent on the air. <laughs> um, but the, the short answer is uh, Michael Shanks slash uh, Daniel Jackson is a hero. Woohoo. Go team. And yep. st- future stories, which we can't talk about. F- future story. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> now, he finishes that, that off with saying, I'm not trying to change anyone's mind with this list, but I wanted to explain it. I truly mm-hmm. enjoy your show and the interaction with the fans is truly unique. I don't write to other podcasts and have to defend my thoughts, nor would I feel comfortable calling the hosts by their first names. Well, JD, you are welcome to call us by our first names. Uh, you yeah. can even call Brent Brentak, and he'll answer to that. <laughs> Zach, I call answer me, to hey, just about you. anything. I, I'll work with it's that, too. true. Yeah. Yeah. Just don't call me late for dinner. hey uh, uh, Please continue doing what you do so well. And I will continue feeling the opposite about the episodes as you. No. <laughs> Absolutely, JD. 
<laughs> that's great. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Thanks, JD. So, Brent, I have so, to say, I love our fans. Y- yes. They're the coolest. Yes. Yeah, the and so when we're telling you guys that we're interested in hearing your thoughts on the thing, we're not kidding. Like <laughs> especially if you think differently from us. Like it's super fun to be talking about this stuff. Super Absolutely. fun. Absolutely. So, um with that, now I think it's mm-hmm. time uh to turn from the curse to the serpent's venom. The Serpent's Venom. I was yeah, trying to think up it. off the spot some really good way of mixing that and kind of making that turn, and I couldn't come up with it, so I just, you know, just did a hard, hard left. Just go straight at it, yep, yep. There you go. Okay, so background facts. We've got uh, mm-hmm. a background and a teleplay, and a, it's a director and a, te- a writer that are names that we are that are very familiar for us. Mm-hmm. The director mm-hmm. is Martin Wood. This is his sixth of seven episodes this season. He's done yep. Small okay. Victories, Upgrades, Divide and Conquer, Watergate and Scorched Earth. He's got one more coming up uh, later on this season. Uh, the teleplay is by a name we know very well, but rare to hear in the teleplay category. This is Peter DeLuise. Oh, um, yeah, right. So okay. the one who is typically on the other side of things, directing episodes, wrote an episode. And this is his actually second of third episodes this season. Mm. Second of three. Mm-hmm. Um, will, he will direct... Lots, lots more episodes, and he'll write several more episodes as the series progresses. Uh, mm-hmm. He wrote the first ones. Uh, oh, with yeah. The Unas. And yeah. this is his second time at bat. Mm hmm. Uh, nice. So those are the teleplay and director. We have some guest actors to talk about. We have Carmen Argenziano coming back as Jacob and Selmac. Mm-hmm. We've got Peter Williams returning as Yay. Apophis. Boo. We have Douglas <laughs> Arthurs. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Returning as Harrower. Oh, yeah. We have uh, a couple more names, and these ones I'm going to talk a little bit more. We've got Obi Ndefo. Uh, he played Ragnar. Mm-hmm. Um, right? Obi uh, is an actor and writer known for Stargate SG 1, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and Dawson's mm-hmm. Creek. Uh, we will see him in more episodes of SG 1, so we haven't seen the last of Ragnar. He's going to return. All right. Okay. Um, uh, when I noticed that he was in Deep Space Nine, I had to look that up, and he actually played the Klingon Drex in Deep Space Nine in the episode The Way of the Warrior. Um, that would have been uh, the episode where Worf is introduced to Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Um, and I think that Drex is the son of yeah. Martok. Um, yeah. Uh, I- I'm-, I'm a little fuzzy. It's been a long it's time. It's been a long time. Nine. Yeah, um, but this also, is sounding familiar. Uh, that was Obi's first role on television. Uh, was DS9? Drex from the, as a Klingon. Oh, yeah. Uh, he graduated from Yale uh, University, and he also went to Yale School of Drama. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. While he was at undergrad, he was part of uh, the Baker's Dozen, which is an all-male a cappella singing group. Hey, nice. Uh, yeah. And uh, he's done a good amount of stuff throughout the years. Um, but in August 17, 2019, he was struck by a car driven by a drunk driver in L.A. and had to have both of his legs amputated. Oh, wow. Um, which is Dang. just a terrible story. Yeah. Um, so, and I haven't been able to find any information about how he's doing 
uh, in the last year or so since that hopefully, happened. Hopefully, just a, you know, whew. yeah. Hopefully, it's one of the. Hopefully, hopefully, it's a story of of you know turning things around or doing something. But yikes, dang. Yeah. Sorry to hear well, that. I mean, and I, actually, you look at the date, and that's not even Mm-mm. a year ago as we recorded. No. This. Yeah. So wow. Um, that's uh, Obi, Obi and Defu. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have then also Paul Coslow playing Tarok, mm-hmm. uh, the interrogator. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was born in Germany on June 27th, 1944, but uh, he was raised in Canada. Mm-hmm. He broke uh, into films at age 22 in the low-budget uh, movie short called Little White Crimes in 1966. Mm-hmm. Uh, other movies that he's been part of included Vanishing Point in 71, Omega Man in 71, Joe Kidd in 72, Cleopatra Jones in 73, and the Stone Killer in '73 as well. He's typically mm-hmm. a guy who plays a really bad bad guy, or <laughs> really he plays he 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 his characters are really really bad, but he does a really good job with it. Yeah. Um, in the 1980s, he kind of began to shift into televisions and did a lot of guest starring on TV, including the the Incredible Hulk in '77, the Eighteen '83, Matlock '86, MacGyver '85, The Fall Guy '81. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is his first and only Stargate SG-1 appearance, and this is also one of his last roles on television before he uh, apparently retired. Oh, uh, right. which actually makes sense if he was born in 1944. Uh, that would have been 2000. He would have been in his 60s by then, almost 60. Yep. Yep. Um, so you know, retiring—that's not too crazy. Right. Um, He's been in a lot of things um, throughout his career, and he was once profiled on the show Names You Never Remember with Faces You Never Forget. Oh. <laughs> because yeah. he's been okay. in everything. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, like, and oh, yeah, that's the he... bad guy from such and such. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and on January 9, 2019, uh, Paul Coslow died of pancreatic cancer. Ah, jeez. Yeah, uh, I don't have well, a lot of good news on the end of these stories. No, right now. sorry, not right now. That's all right. I mean, but you know, yeah. okay. Um, sorry to hear that. We'll talk more about uh, Paul later uh, when we get to the trivia stuff. Yeah, this okay. episode originally gotcha. aired on September twenty nine, two thousand. Mm-hmm. Number one on the charts was still in the U.S. Ma- music by Madonna. Madonna mm-hmm. is still making music. Sure is. Sure is. And in the UK, they stopped listening to whatever they were listening to, and they never were listening to Madonna. Uh, Okay, so they probably were, at least somewhat. But they started listing number one one. to Mariah Carey saying, Against All Odds, featuring Westlife. Oh, interesting. So I had never heard of Westlife until we started doing these number ones in the UK, and it was like, it's, you know, it's a boy band. Um, yeah. But this is a crossover. I don't know this song at all. I don't know this by song by Mariah either. Carey. But it's but it's uh, featuring Westlife. All right. Okay. So uh, right. we'll put that one up there uh, in the background while uh, while you run us through the box office. So Westlife, being a boy band, is clearly a Titanic organization. And so number one on the box office, we remember those Titans. Remember the Titans. <laughs> um, and then we realize that they're boy brands, and so they've probably been possessed and sold their souls to the devil, which is why we need an exorcist. Exorcist is number two. Uh, <laughs> after they have been exorcised of their demons, and of course since they're a boy brand, they're, they're kind of famous, but they're 
uh, we're in the U.S., and so they're only almost famous. That's number ah! three. Ah, so good. Now, this so is the good, U.K., and if they're in the U.K., that means that they are probably connected in some way to London. I'm making that up because I don't know anything about Westlife. Uh, and so <laughs> in London being an urban area, they're clearly the legends of that urban era. Urban legends. And this is clearly the final cut Jeez. because we don't want me to do anything more of this, but it does round out with number five, bringing it on. Bring it on. Oh, gosh. That's and so terrible. now I say bring it on. By it, I mean all of your complaints for that. <laughs> Which could very well be warranted after this. But still, yeah. oh, nicely done. Nicely done. <sighs> all right. <sighs> so what was happening around this episode airing? Mm-hmm. Not a whole lot. On September 28, uh, Al-Aqsa uh, no, uh, Intifada uh, was happening, and I had to look that up exactly. This is a period of intensified Israeli-Palestinian violence, mm. where the Palestinians describe it as an uprising against Israel, while the mm-hmm. Israelis consider it a prolonged terror campaign perpetuated by the Palestinian National Authority and various mm-hmm. other Palestinian militant groups. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, lots of stuff was happening there, and on this day, Ariel Sharon who was an Israeli general and later prime minister of Israel, mm-hmm. uh, visits the Temple Mount in Jerusalem on this day in the midst of mm-hmm. all of this violence and chaos. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. So, there you go. Also uh-huh. on September 28, uh, Pierre Trudeau, the 15th Canadian prime minister, uh, mm-hmm. he was a liberal uh, from... 1968. He was a prime minister from 1968 to 1979, and then again from 1980 to 84. Mm-hmm. I don't know what happened in the middle of 79 and 80 there, but those are how the dates are put on there. Anyway, yep. uh, on September 28, he dies of Parkinson's disease and prostate cancer at the age of 80. Yeah, gotcha. And then finally on September 29th, the day this actually airs, the movie In the Mood for Love which was a Hong Kong film directed by Wong Kar Wai, uh, starring Maggie Chung and Tony Leung, is released. Okay. So, there you go. I probably butchered There's that. those names, and I'm sorry. Uh, probably, you're probably fine. All right. Uh, Brent, we do have some trivia for this episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we'll begin by talking about Jacob. Um well, okay, it's not really Jacob. But when Jacob, at the end of the episode, tells Ragnar that their two ships will rendezvous on the, th- rendezvous on the third moon of Titchener, yeah. uh, that is actually in reference to and named after James Titchener, who works in oh. various roles in the show, including he's a second unit director, he's a writer primarily, uh, he works in the visual effects department, um, nice. all of that stuff. Yeah. So, uh, actually, he's often one of the guys who is, for this season, is one of the people in the commentaries that I've been watching as well. Uh, James mm-hmm. is part of that. So, that was named after James Titchener. Uh, this is the episode that marks the death of... Uh, and he is, as of now, the fifth powerful Gulwuld who is killed, at least sort of, by SG-1. Uh, I mean, it is technically Apophis that kills him, but uh, SG-1 witnessed it, so that counts for something, right? So, um, like, 
at some point, I mean, there's no way you can answer this question. I'll just I'll just ask it as a rhetorical. Um, okay. At some point, does the does does the does the does the Stargate universe just sort of recognize that this this very short era? So the Gould have been kind of powerful forces for millennia, lots of them. Yep. And here we are in the span of just a few short years. There is just this this slaughtering. There's just this this complete just destruction of the most powerful system lords that they have had for millennia. It's just like, it's got to be like, you know, at some point there's going to be like some stories about just the absolute, just agonizing destruction of the great ghoul civilization, this great system lords who have been all powerful for so long, just one after the other, after the other, after the other, just dying. Oh, so tragic. So tragic. So tragic. Just saying. Uh, suffice it to say, Brent, you have uh, successfully analyzed the reality of the historical setting in which the Guawuld are residing, slash also the SGC, uh, slash pretty much everybody else in the galaxy, uh, at this point in the story. Okay. Good. Good I, to hear that I'm not missing anything. I, I don't think I can say anything more. <laughs> all i'm saying is that it's like it's like it, it you know it's like uh it's like looking at things at a geological time frame like you know this is an abrupt abrupt situation that we have happening right now <laughs> like like you are actually able to witness the exact spot where the asteroid uh yes slammed into yes. the ground the, the yes. earth that caused the dust storm that killed off the dinosaurs yes. Yeah, you know, yeah, yep, this is like, yeah. okay. Uh, it, it's it's not often that you actually, like, oh my gosh, this is actually the real spot uh, this is, of yeah, this whatever is. this is. And you are absolutely right. That is really what's happening at this point in time. Um, yep. Time will tell what will happen next. Time will tell what will happen. Okay. Um. So this other tri- next trivia is less trivia and more something that just kind of caught my eye and maybe we'll talk some more about this later on uh but the jaffa religious beliefs now include concepts of sin a soul and an afterlife and apparently according to tarak if you repent of your sins you could free your soul and all those who follow him from eternal punishment mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so, so uh, there's a lot of stuff here. going on there with the theology and and such and yeah. uh uh worth potentially chewing on as we move forward yeah um you want to take on this next one brent oh yeah 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 so uh i noticed as i was watching this show so i always let the credits play out because i'm i'm a completionist um and i happened to notice towards the end of the credit rolling that there was something it might have been there for a while but but zach back in september of 2000 in the credits stargate was advertising its website and in its website, which was www.stargate-sg1.com, which, by the way, was a bit of a bold choice. Because you remember how difficult the very early 2000s, like late 90s, early 2000s website situation was, right? Like, once upon a time, you didn't tell people your website address. You told them the AOL keyword that they should look up. Search for AOL keyword Stargate and go see all the blah, blah, blah. Right? You know, like it was that yeah. that bad. Yeah. Putting a dash in your website name in this time, that I might have been a little I might have been a little gutsy. I mean, we're used to it now, but anyway. All one word, Stargate-SG1. The number one. Anyway, www.stargate.stargate-sg1.com. So I said to myself, is this website still alive? 
So I go to my favorite browser and I type in www.stargate-sg1.com and it sits there and sits there and sits there. And so as it's sitting there, I'm thinking to myself, well, the domain is active at least. Something's trying to happen here. And it sat there long enough and I was getting, you know, I was getting a little impatient. So I decided to go to the Internet Archive. And sure enough, well, first there was a ping that happened like a month ago. And so I went there and I was like, wait, what is this? And turns out it was sitting there because it was redirecting to um, M, like M, StargateMGM.com or something like that, uh, which was also trying to redirect to StargateCommand.co, which eventually, you know, which eventually lands you on a page that says Stargate's now on YouTube, right? You know, that whole thing that happened a little while ago. Right. But the Internet Archive also had a snapshot from 2000. Now, they didn't have one from when this episode was airing, but they did have one not too long after, sometime in October. So I totally was like bombing around on the website from 2000, enjoying the heck out of it, including the store. They were selling things like a gel mouse pad. You remember those? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. They had a, a Stargate emblazoned CD case that you can buy for $15. Real good Ooh. stuff there. Uh, you could get the VHS of uh, um, uh, what was the very first episode? What was the pilot called? Uh, Children of the Gods? Children of the Gods. Yep. So you can get a VHS for $10. Uh, but I also came across that they had an FAQ. And so I, so I was like, all right, what do we got here? So I jump on the FAQ and, um, you know, they're asking some regular questions like, you know, like, how many symbols does it take to take to Stargate? And I'm like, seven, duh. And uh, one of the questions was, why does every culture SG-1 encounters speak English? This is something that we've kind of joked about before, but we just decided to let it go, right? Right. They had an answer. They had an answer, Zach. Here it okay. is. Ready? Why does every culture SG-1 encounters speak English? Answer? They do not. As many cultures encountered by the SG teams are derived from ancient Earth cultures, as a linguist, Daniel Jackson is able to communicate with most of these cultures. SG-1 also has Teal Kalong, a 90-year-old Jaffa, who can communicate with all other ghouls. Occasionally, SG-1 even encounters a race, like the Asgard, who are technologically superior to humans and decipher English in order to communicate with the team. Did, mm. you, did you catch what they did there, Zach? They, so, they had an answer that was crying up from the well, actually. What did we say? Why does every culture speak English? And what did they say? Well, actually, well, they actually don't. They because don't. sometimes they speak in the bloody language and sometimes they have this other. La- it's like, that wasn't the question. The question was, come on, everybody we encounter is like speaking perfect English. Come on, isn't that silly? We don't have a universal translator. How does this work? And their answer was to deflect. So it was very unsatisfying. However, it was hilarious. And I just wanted to share that with you. With, with everybody so there you go well fair enough uh, www.stargate-sg1.com like that uh, on this uh, you know the the word asgard uh is spelled a-s-g-a-r-d and actually as you type that in earlier i noticed i assume you just copy and pasted uh, i sure did copy and paste uh they had spelled asgard a-s-g-u-a-r-d they added an extra <laughs> r u in there for guard uh and i'm like okay so i clearly something else has happened here but that's kind of funny I, a blast from the the totally. 20 years ago internet yep and i bet you that uh, the person who was writing it i you know it was probably the answer was probably given by the person who was responsible coding the page in the first place right like 
It probably wasn't even. It probably wasn't even anybody who that was actually a story writer. It was just like, yeah. well, actually, they speak many different languages. So, anyway, that's anyway. what I had. Okay, so I do actually have a couple more uh, trivia things directly about this episode. Oh, sure, yeah. All right, so um, these are from the Illustrated Companion mostly. Uh, so you know how Christopher Judge was tortured and he was hanging from those chains. Well, he was literally hanging from those chains. Uh, 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 Christopher Judge just uh, had no harness, no nothing. He just allowed himself to hang. He figured if he was going to be in discomfort, it would help the performance. So that's what he did. Uh, And he also claims that he would have, uh, he had a lot of bruises for weeks afterwards as a result of that, which makes sense. I can imagine, yeah. Two days of filming, he was doing that. Um, Also, Paul Coslow... Uh, when he so this is a quote from from the uh, Illustrated Companion he scared the hell out of everyone from the minute he turned up at the audition Martin told me (laughs) this is a quote from Christopher Judge so Martin told me the story of how when Paul did his audition scene it was so fantastic that no one could tell if he was acting or if he was really crazy everyone was so freaked uh, they sent Martin out afterwards to talk to him just to double check on everything. <laughs> but he wow. turned out to be a very lovely man. Uh, oh, good. So <laughs> during the the commentary, Martin Wood was Martin Wood was talking about this, uh, and he mentioned that yeah, during that audition, he just came in there and he's like, rah, 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 rah. and they're all like, whoa. And then when he was all finished, he just turned it off and he's like, so uh, was that good? nice and and also they were also talking about during that scene with him the scenes with with him and teal they they practiced a lot of stuff uh during rehearsals and when it came to filming he changed up a lot of things uh Mm. so uh christopher judge just kind of had to go with it so there were a few times where he would grab christopher's head and and look at him and and all of that stuff. Yeah. And, and some of those things were, were things that, that uh, uh, Coslo did there in that moment, uh, spur of the moment, that, that kind of changed things up to keep things uh, uh, uncomfortable for everybody yeah. uh, for it. And it gotcha. created a very, uh, very believable um, scene, uh, very uncomfortable mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. uh, you definitely got the fact that uh, Tarok was absolutely out of his mind. <laughs> yeah. No, it was really, that was a really good performance. Okay. And then finally, uh, this episode in other languages, we have French, the Serpent's Venom. The Italians mm-hmm. call this the Dissolved Alliance. The Spanish yep. also call it the Serpent's Venom. The Czech call it the Serpent's Hatred. Uh, Hungarians call it sure. the Serpent's Venom, okay. mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. the Germans, uh, similar yeah. to the Italians, call it the Impeded Alliance. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there a little you go. on the nose, but that's all right. Okay. Yeah, well, you know, we, we would expect nothing less it's, from uh, the German. You got it. Tra- German translators at this time. Yep, that's right. <laughs> yep. That is completely correct. <laughs> okay, so Brent. Yes. Are you ready for the synopsis? Yes. Okay, here we go. Teal'c meets up with a couple of Jaffa, Ragnar and Makar, on Chulak late at night. He is recruiting Jaffa to join his cause to reject the Gua'uld as false gods and restore the 
Jaffa to a people free of slavery. The meeting seems to go well until Ragnar reveals himself to be a loyal Jaffa to the Gua'uld. Oh no! No, no! He betrays Teal'c. Makar looks on while Ragnar's trap is sprung and the Shova, the traitor Teal'c, is hauled away. Back at the SGC, Jack, Sam, and Daniel, along with General Hammond and Jacob Carter, are watching the gate open. Wow. <laughs> and of course they receive an IDC. Jack seems a little bit disappointed that the IDC is not from Teal'c, and especially disappointed when he discovers that the IDC is from the Tok'ra. Uh, but from the Tok'ra comes a message for Jacob slash Selmak. His vacation... Uh, is over, and it's time to get back to work. Oh, and by the way, the Tok'ra need SG-1's assistance. No, of course. Seriously, they need Hmm. their assistance. Mm -hmm. The Tok'ra (laughs) intercepted a transmission between Harrower and Apophis. Uh, They intercepted this through some sort of work with Tanith, because, you know, Tanith, he's that bad guy there, and we just got to toss his name out there every once in a while to remember that he's still there. Still there. They currently are the two most powerful Gua'uld in the galaxy. And Apophis wants to forge an alliance with Herorur. Together they can destroy the System Lords and usher in a new force in the galaxy. According to Selmak, this alliance would be terrible for everyone involved. Their mission, should they choose to accept it, is to stop this alliance <laughs> from developing. The meeting between Herorur and Apophis is going to be held in a minefield left behind by the extinct people, the Tobins. The mines make this an ideal neutral site for the meeting. Selmak's plan is to capture one of the mines and reprogram it to attack Apophis's ship. Apophis will then think that Herorur has betrayed him and hopefully the two will start an all-out war with one another. But since nothing is ever easy, this plan comes with lots and lots of challenges. To which Jack says, I am not doing anything until you tell me exactly what everything is going to be right up front from the beginning because he's frankly had it up to here with the Tok'ra. <laughs> Jacob says, I was going to tell you. <laughs> okay. The mines are constantly in motion, swirling around each other, and while the Tok'ra have what appears to be a tech manual for the mines, they've had difficulty translating it. Fortunately, Dr. Jackson has mad skills for language translation. Uh, Maybe if he had just decided to be an excellent philologist instead of an archaeologist, his career would have gone much better. But then again, we probably wouldn't have seen gotten the series at all if Jackson wasn't an archaeologist because we needed him to think about the the Egyptians and and, and stuff. So good on you, Daniel, for choosing archaeology. Sorry. Uh, Back to the synopsis. Yeah. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> Jackson is able to translate the key piece of information that would allow them to reprogram the mine. Three to the blue, four to the orange, three to the blue. And so, with a couple of bags full of Phoenician translating books, Jackson, along with the rest of his team, climb aboard Jacob's Teltec, and they head off to the minefield. Meanwhile, Teal'c is being tortured by Terok, who seems to take great pleasure in his work. All Teal'c needs to do is to admit that Terok and all the Gua'uld are gods, and then Terok can let Teal'c die with a clean soul and a chance at the afterlife. Confess your sins, Teal'c. Admit your mistakes. Recognize I, Terok, the one who is recording all of this, all your humiliation, who is stabbing you with a souped-up Gua'uld cattle prod, is your god. I'm not going to do I'm not doing this to hurt you. I'm doing this to save you. So, you know, it's all okay. 
just just say the word. Just say, say the it. word. Say the word. Teal'c endures the torture. He does not give Tarok any satisfaction. Rachnor watches on. SG-1 and Salmak arrive in the Tobin system, where the meeting is to take place. Using the ring transport, they bring one of the mines aboard the ship. Selmak begins the challenging process of flying the ship so that the mine doesn't end up hitting any of the walls because, you know, blowing up your ship while you're trying to reprogram a mine to blow up the other guy's ship is never a good idea. And also, not running into the ship, uh, running the ship into other mines that are floating out in space because, you know, that'd also be bad. Sam and Daniel get to work on the mine itself while Jack watches on. Step one, open the mine. Hit the button. Maybe. Yes. Definitely. Wait, 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 wait. No. Yes. Hit the button. (laughs) Step one complete. Step two. Three to the blue. Four to the orange. Three to the blue. Uh Uh-oh. What's that sound? That's not good. Uh, Dad? Jack takes (laughs) over the flying so that Selmet can help out. His words of wisdom are succinct. Fix it. (laughs) <laughs> Apophis's mothership arrives. The Teltac cloaks. Soon Herorur arrives as well. The Gould have a conversation. Their alliance would be cool, awesome. And Herorur <laughs> has a gift for Apophis. And the gift is none other than Teal'c. Uh-oh. Oh, no! Teal'c is in the hand of the bad guys. Ah! Oh, no! Rachnor tries to convince Teal'c to give up and admit that the Gould are gods. After all, Apophis died and rose from the dead and now controls the biggest army in the galaxy. How can he not be a god? But Teal'c presses Rachnor in the other direction. If Teal'c thought for a moment that his eternal soul was on the line, why would he resist? Terok encourages Teal'c to listen to Rachnor. Teal'c is resolute. The torture continues. Terok gets really ticked off and wants to kill Teal'c at least once. Ragnar has a change of heart and grabs the industrial strength Gould cattle prod and stabs Torak, Torak with it, killing the torturer. Back mm-hmm. on the Teltec. They're still moments away from blowing up. At the last minute, Carter realizes that they were making a mathematical error. The Tobins would need a zero. It's a math thing. It just is. <laughs> Daniel realizes that he's been off by one this whole time. It's not three to the blue, four to the orange, three to the blue. It's two to the blue. Three to the orange, and two to the blue. Suddenly, everything works as it should. And then, of course, we hand wave over the reprogramming of the mind. So once it's finished, (laughs) they release the mind and move to a safe distance while trying to figure out how they might be able to save Teal'c. They hope to intercept the matter stream when Teal'c is beamed from one ship to the other. Unfortunately, they miss the matter stream. Teal'c is still a prisoner. At this point, the Toker operative on Apophis' ship activates the beacon that will draw the reprogrammed mine to the ship. Everything works as planned. The mine swoops to the Apophis' ship and detonates. On Apophis' ship, his lackeys inform him that Herorur betrayed them. They did not send the Sholva, but a dead ghoul torturer instead. Apophis orders his ship immediately to fire on Herorur's ship, blowing it up, while at the same time decloaking an entire fleet of Hatak vessels. And now... When Apophis fires on Herorur, the mines do what they do, and they begin to swarm the mothership. However, this fleet of cloaked ships that are no longer cloaked swarm around Apophis' ship to protect it from the swarming mines, and Apophis is able to escape, but all of those mm-hmm. other ships are destroyed. Wow. The sensors on mm-hmm. the Teltec discover that a death glider flees Herorur's ship. 
they assume that it's Harrower trying to escape, and so they don't want that to happen, and so they chase after it. But they are pleasantly surprised when Ragnar reveals that he is in fact piling the Death Glider along with Tilk. They agree to meet up on the moon not far from the minefield, the, the third moon of Titchener. Tilk is safe, but the situation is far worse than before. They succeeded in stopping the Alliance, so good on you, team. But now Apophis will be able to absorb Harrower's fleet into his own. Apophis is now even more dangerous than before. Brent is clearly not pleased. <laughs> the end. <laughs> the end. <laughs> so, Brent. Uh-huh. The Serpent's Venom. What'd mm-hmm. you think? I'm pretty pleased. Oh, come on. I thought that was going to elicit a better reaction than that. Um, this one, I like you know, this no, one. I, I was trying to figure out. Wait, wait. Did I, I just said he was not pleased, and now he says he's pleased. I'm confused. I'm confused. No, <laughs> no this one. I'm also I, tired. I, I, well, <laughs> Go ahead. Okay, there Go ahead. that. Um, I, I, I enjoyed this one. I was, uh, you know, I was a little, I was a little on the edge ish of my seat, sort of, um, you know, how, how is this going to resolve? Uh, you know, like, uh, that, uh, that Teal'c was a prisoner of, of her was not a, a, a profound surprise as the setup started to, 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 to transpire. But, you know, like it was, it was, it was a little like, okay, all right. Like we're, we're, we're up in the ante on this one. Um, the, the, uh, the notion of, you know, setting up an alliance was plausible. Uh, the, the plan to reprogram a mine was just, you know, so crazy that it just might work. The whole, the whole process of that was sufficiently suspenseful. Like the, the rationale for how to acquire the mine, how to reprogram the mine, how to, how to create an external threat because these mines are designed to keep flying around. And so you got to keep flying yourself around. And, uh, you know, like it was all, it was all just sci-fi television, sci-fi plausible enough. Um, the little, the little goof, the little goofy thing about, uh, unlocking the mine with the, the right combination, even though the combination was ridiculously simple. Um, you know, whatever it, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was fun. Uh, the, 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 the setup or the, sorry, the, the payout at the end of like Apophis is able to uh, cloak his attack ships and he's got the big mothership that uh, at his disposal, like he's starting to get now. I mean, he's like the character is definitely moving into the bad guy territory that I think that the show was kind of wanting him in, in the first place. Like at the very beginning of the series, he was the bad guy, but it just kind of felt a little ridiculous. Ridiculous! Our heroes were able to thwart him at just about every pass, which was the origin of my frustration with the character itself and Uh and me being, you know, completely just stunned when we bring him back and suddenly make him the most powerful system lord, like in just a single stroke. Uh, You know, if I accept that as as written, uh, then. Uh, then Apophis using his newfound power to do exactly this uh seems more realistic and so so uh, you know here here we're moving along and brent is able to say all right fine you know apophis is apophis is a meaningful bad guy and has this power available to him and is making these decisions and you know this is all sort of lining up um okay i'm sad that i apophis is a meaningful bad guy that is a quote 
yeah, fine, fine. But you're also uh, missing the first part of that whole sentence, which was, okay, fine. Assume Apophis has the most powerful fleet of the system lords. Fine. Assume he has millions upon millions of Jaffa at his beck and call, which presumably means that he also has quite a lot of research capacity because I've played enough interstellar strategy games to know that you got to pour you got to pour some uh, resources into research because otherwise you're just sunk. So he's done that. Fine. So now here we are halfway through season four. We are a season. Yeah, we're about a season past when he acquired his big giant army right that was just past the second half or you know like yeah midway point of last season so okay it's been a year and he's put that year to good use by uh being able to cloak motherships now 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 i will say this this is thin ice that the character of apophis is on because if the SG-1 team is able to thwart him again with C4, he's right back in the pile of, <laughs> come on, come on. It's been like, this has been the solution for like three or four of our encounters is strap some C4 on it and blow it up. Like, oh my gosh. Anyway, but Only time this will particular tell, episode time was a good will tell. Time will tell. And so, yeah, it, it, it was fun. I enjoyed it. Um, the acting, the acting was good. The whole, like the 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 dialogue, the back and forth, the witticisms, the um, you know, once again, the actors playing their characters, watching, um, watching Michael Shanks play Daniel Jackson in the whole like bumbling researcher kind of capacity of like, oh wait, no, oh, oh wait, yeah, actually, that's fine. You know, I mean, it was it was good. Like it was it, it was it was fun. Um, having everybody, you know, just you know, having Selmac back, and you know, having having that be fun and having him be like you know his little terse little advice of like i don't know fix it like that i don't know i just felt <laughs> fun and you know it was it was good um yeah so you know in keeping with uh in keeping in keeping with tradition i imagine that when we get to the predictions uh, you know assuming that jd put in a prediction i imagine that he's gonna be like brett's gonna hate it um <laughs> because it's got a pompous in it <laughs> and it's true sure it did Brent, have a pompous uh, in it jd does have a prediction uh which i haven't good. read i haven't looked at that yet good we'll see yeah 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 we'll see um but yeah i don't know overall i had a good time with this one what, what about you zach you know i enjoy this one um on one level, I've seen it enough that it's kind of boring for me. Um, yeah, sure. You know, and part of it is just because I've had a really one heck of a week. And so when I was watching it yesterday, uh, I was having a hard time concentrating on it. But I kind mm. of figured that has at least as much to do with the fact that I was just had one heck of a week and I was tired uh, than anything else. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I enjoy this. Um, I actually had forgotten so like when when we we're looking at the episode titles and like serpent's venom like okay which one is that one again and it wasn't i had to it wasn't until um david's uh promo last week that i'm like oh that's right that's what that one is i, I couldn't yeah, remember gotcha. what the serpent's venom was about until after the promo really um and uh you know but i i like i i like the i like the the sci-fi story that's here uh, it's mm-hmm. a little rushed uh, in a lot of places, and actually, they were talking about that. Uh, Peter DeLuise was the writer of this episode, and he right. wrote this epic mammoth story that was like movie theater 
epic. Oh, and gotcha. They're like, uh, we got to trim that down a little bit. You know, some yeah. snip snip here and a snip snip there. Um, there's some, there are some issues because of all of that. You can see that there are some some issues with uh, uh, the timing of things. Like they they set the five minute countdown to the ship uh, to the the mind blowing up if they don't figure it out, and it's like ten minutes of screen time later before we finally get back to like oh oh yeah and in the middle of that you yeah. also see Selmax saying oh and uh, Harrower is saying this and uh, Apophis is saying right. that um right. you know fix the bomb first and then you can worry about what they're saying to each other. <laughs> right. Yes. Oh, uh, yes. You know, yeah. So there was there a little bit some, of overlap there. Yeah. There, there are some, some issues there. Um, but, uh, you know, the, I, I still find that enjoyable. I, I find Terok to be absolutely insane and crazy. Um, yes. but, uh, the, the, uh, torture scenes are done very, very well. Uh, I like Ragnar and all of this. You kind of mm-hmm. see this guy who, at the beginning, is like, "Oh, come on! How can they not be gods?" Um, but he's also heard this from the beginning, and he's kind of rejecting his dad's faith on yep. the fact that they're not gods. Um, and and then you know he has that radical change uh, in him later on, and that arc for that character in this episode is really quite strong. Makar um, mm-hmm. at the beginning, I think, is just kind of weak. He's like, oh, "This yes. is my good friend Makar," says Teal'c, and he's like, "Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, I, apparently, I, I know because of the way I'm looking at you that this is going badly for you, but I'm not going to say anything." And then we don't hear anything more about Makar for the rest of the episode. Yeah. And so yeah. I'm like, "What is going on with that man there?" Um, and I don't know. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, uh, the. Visual and special effects are really quite cool. The mm. bomb, yep, yep, is a physical prop in there that yep. uh, they had, you know, on a giant crane that they were waving back and forth as they were working on it. Mm-hmm. Um, it looked really good on set. Uh, the the visuals. I know that uh, when I was watching the commentary, the uh, Titchener uh, was James Titchener was 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 kind of complaining that he didn't get things the way he wanted them to be um, because it's complicated when you're looking at scale in space. You know, you've got all those mines and then you've got the giant mothership and the Hatak vessels, which you already know are huge and the mothership is bigger and all of this stuff. You know, the scale is really challenging, but it works. Um, You know, I don't have a problem with that. I like it. It works for me. Yeah, right. Um, Agreed. But, uh, you know, I can also, uh, having, you know, done, uh, just, you know, dipped my toe in filmography just here and there a little bit uh, at the church, uh, I I know that inevitably you look at a project and says, well, I wish I could have done that and that and Mm, that mm -hmm. and and that. Oh, we should have done that better. Um, Right. But uh, as an end user for me, recognizing that I can appreciate what he's saying there, it still overall is still good. Um, Yeah. I think I, I thought so. I mean, visual, yeah. like, you know, the visual effects. Now, again, um, I am continuing to watch this in SD, uh, which <laughs> I mean, I'm sticking with it because I want a genuine experience. And so I'm getting one. Um, so, you know, in that respect, you know, when they first came to the planet uh, and you see all the mines, I mean, they really did just look like specks of things, um, mm-hmm. which is 
probably what it looked like in HD as well. But like, you know, in SD, there's an awful lot of smudge all over the place anyway. And so, you know, what's what's a little more smudge? You know, I, I you know, they, they firmly established that the smudges were going to be mines. And I guess that's what they are. Those are the mines. And so, uh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't that bad. Um, and yeah, so, you know, I can definitely appreciate the idea of, yeah, when you're dealing with space, uh, getting the perspectives right is tough. And but this is one of those other things where like television shows do not portray space uh, correctly, which is fine because if you portray space correctly, you basically mean, yeah, you don't see anything. And the giant attack ships, when you put them out in if if there was a spaceship that was the size of a Hatak attack ship orbiting Earth uh, and you wanted to get a camera at a spot where you could see the ship and the minefield and the planet and some of the other ships, uh, you know, the, 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 the frame that we were able to see in real life would be this extremely small area, all things considered. Right. Right. You know, you were not, you would not be looking at the entire minefield and you know, the, the ship is not that big as to be, um, you know, as to as to take up, you know, several arc seconds worth of space in the sky. Like it's actually like quite small, all things considered. But you can't you can't actually show that in television because then it would just look ridiculous. Like so you have these things be kind of you know, it's this thing that's been the case with Star Trek ever since the beginning. It's like, you know, the 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 shot of the Enterprise when it's going especially in the original series, when it's when when it's orbiting the planet you know, it makes it look like the planet is basically like almost the same size as the ship, the speed at which the the Enterprise is rotating, uh, you know, as it's yeah. panning across the shot, you know, but 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 that's OK because it's television. It's not supposed to look real. It's supposed to look interesting. Um, so, you know, I mean, by all means, you get a pass when you're trying to create visual effects for this kind of stuff. And but it was fine. And yeah, dude, like like Hatak attack ships decloaking and several of them like being shields to allow the big mothership to get away. Like I'm in, right. You know, like I, I love to bag on Apophis and how he got a hold of all this technology, but you know what? Let's assume that he had all that technology and that power and that army. What would happen? Exactly that. He would have several attack, 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 whatever, um, attack ships, uh, protecting him. Uh, you know, throwing their lives away so that he can do his thing and get away because from his point of view, it's all expendable. And so off he goes. And, yeah. you know, and if in the process he ends up killing Harrower, which he did and plans to yep. absorb Harrower's fleets, yeah. which he, we fully anticipate that he will, um, you know, losing uh, even a dozen Hatak ships at that point in time uh, is not that big a deal. Nope. I mean, he's, yeah. He, he's he is he's assembling. Yeah, I mean like he basically got his alliance without the alliance part. Like that's yeah. from his point of view superb. <laughs> he's like, "All right. Not only do I get the entire army, I don't have to deal with her anymore. <laughs> you guys get to do what I say now." Like, yeah. That is bad. That is totally yep. bad. And, and of course, he is not part of the system lords, which means he is not part of the uh, Asgard Treaty, which means he could attack Earth, and then you have all of that going on. He's uh, a bad dude. He's a bad, bad dude. dude. 
bad bad dude. Yeah. Yes. So you know, this is this is all right. This is this is getting fun. Good. I'm still so disappointed the general that the idea of things. Yeah, um, I am still disappointed that the big bad guy from last season, which was or two from a while ago, which have been decimating the Asgard, our most powerful ally, are still the replicators, and you know, like that. I'm still I'm still smarting on that one. So I guess I can shift focus to uh, to to Apophis and uh, Osiris. So that's well, all right. Okay. Well, we'll see Apophis, Osiris, and the replicators again. I'm sure we will see the replicators again, and uh, and uh, it'll be fascinating. Uh, I, I look forward to seeing how you experience the development of information that we will get with uh, all of those stories as they develop. I just really want to open one of our episodes with immigrant song because the Asgard come in and just kick Heine. I just hope it happens. We'll see. Maybe it will. It could. It could. I want it to. I totally yeah. want it to. Um, we'll see. We will see. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So, Brent, um, mm-hmm. what do you think about the theology of the Jaffa as Terok tortures Teal'c? So, Terok was saying that... The sin that uh, Teal'c has is the sin of leading believers astray. And he was saying that in admitting it, he would not only absolve his sin, but all the sin of all the people that he has misled. As far as all of this sin uh, of all the people that he has misled. Uh, is that the is that the sum total of the theology that you were referring to? Was there more? Uh, well, that's really part others? of it. Uh, I mean, you've you've got the the uh, the implication that uh, the Gulwald can can send you to hell or the equivalent therein in the afterlife. That there is an afterlife. That uh, you know, uh, if you don't right. confess this. Um, but that point there that you mentioned, like, yeah, you know. It, it, Teal'c's sin of rejecting the gods, uh, rejecting the ghouls as gods, is one that uh, is damning not only for himself, but also for an entire group of people who follow him. Right. Um, and the implication is, if you, Teal'c, can recant, you can save yourself and potentially even save all of the other people. Oh, and I'll torture you in order to get that. Right, um, and, and yeah, and I did, I did forget about the whole, uh, you know, eternal damnation thing, which um, Teal'c's sort of reply back, I thought was, you know, kind of on the nose, like, like, you know, in the good way, like, you know, yeah, I mean, like, does eternal, does eternal damnation, does does the eternal damnation of your soul matter an awful lot when your body gets chucked into a sarcophagus, you get revived and then get killed again, like, you know what I mean, like when you're in the recycler with that, like. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, eternal e- eternity kind of has a sort of a different meaning. <laughs> right. Like, I, I get it that that, that there is a limit um, to that, uh, but you know, from your point of view as a person being li- limitlessly tortured, or at least it, so it seems, um, you know, is that not your eternal damnation? Um, 
I don't, I don't know. I didn't really bite too hard on that plot point. Um, you know, it was definitely noticeable. This, I think, was the first time that I had heard somebody who, uh, you know, who is a, who has allegiance to the Gould say such things in a, such a uh, such a theological manner. I don't recall anybody else saying it like that. Um, but now, now that it has been uttered, uh, do I find it interesting? I don't know. I mean, it it, it just it, it's it's. Uh, the interesting part is the for me the interesting part was the the notion that um uh s- the sin of of rejecting the gould as gods is something that Teal's followers are not uh blameless in but they are also not responsible for that it is Teal'c that is responsible and that it is Teal'c that can save his soul and the soul of millions um, you know, that, 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 uh, that, that he bears the weight of this on his shoulders. Now, Teal'c rejects it instantly. Um, and we as viewers agree with Teal'c that the Gould and Eid are not gods. And so we should reject this as well. So in that respect, it kind of rings hollow. Like, you know, can you take responsibility for the millions of souls if you firmly believe that those souls are actually not at risk because the things that you are rejecting are not actually gods? Um, you know, I don't know. You know, it's like you will never again be able to use these wonderful coupons from Wendy's to get free Frosties. And it's like I didn't even want it from the first place. Like, you know, I like this is <laughs> this is a threat that rings hollow. I'm not sure that I care. Um, but you asked the question, Zach, in such a way that makes me think that I either am missing something or you thought that there was a bit more interesting part to that question. So oh, what about you? No, you not thinking? really. I just uh, like to chew on a question like that. Uh, and I enjoy hearing your answers uh, yeah, sure. to things like that. Um, and, you know, when I was looking at that on the, the, uh, the, the trivia, I'm like, oh, you know, there's, there's actually something there. This is the first time that the word sin has been used to talk about what yeah. Kilk did. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and... And there's something interesting in in the idea that uh, Tilk's uh, indiscretion uh, has eternal consequences not only for himself but for others, which makes a certain amount of sense. If he rejects the gods uh, as gods, and if they are in fact gods, and that's a problem, and if he leads people astray, then they're all going to find and suffer the same damnation that he is. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but the implication then that uh, if he recants, um, is it the same type of process that uh, uh they he recants and then they're all like oh well if our leader recanted then well they must really be gods and so uh i guess we'll just call them gods too and so therefore we're okay um uh is that the situation that that brings uh you know restoring them as well or or is there something else going on with that recant um, or was this all all of this just the ravings of a lunatic? Uh, yeah, right. Right. Um, now one thing going on. 
Uh, certainly, it's it's certainly a lot of mind tricking going on, you know, or attempting you know, to to bend the mind and, and, and twist him to, to do that. And uh, Teal'c is is uh, very good in the midst of all of that torture to say, uh, "No, um, I'm I'm me, you're you, and uh, I am not going to take your baggage on me and have it be my baggage." Uh, so I appreciate that on Teal'c. Um, I really like his response to Ragnar when Ragnar says, um, how could you believe uh, that they're not gods? Um, you know, uh, would you really risk eternal damnation uh, for this? And then now I'm, I'm blanking on exactly how Teal says it, but he says something to the effect that, uh, uh, you know, rather than answering his question, uh, or trying to justify his answers. No, I don't believe they're gods, and I'm willing to risk my soul for it. Uh, he's like, you know, I fight every day to live uh, for the sake of others and so that they can also be free from mm-hmm. this torment. Uh, I really appreciated that answer, and I probably should have written it down um, because it was good, but I didn't do that. So, yeah, there. No, I mean, it was good. I mean, it was a good line. And also, there was a couple of parts about it. There was one thing that I thought was curious. I mean, I immediately noticed it, and I thought it was an interesting failing that Tarok did. Um, because in in telling Teal'c that the world was watching, basically, right? You know, here's a little recorder, and they're going to watch you break. Like, it felt obvious that that would actually be a motivator to stay true to course right that it felt obvious that that it would be impossible it would be much much more difficult if not impossible to now break the mind of somebody because that person is now thinking to himself i have to do this not just for me but for others as well because they're watching um if if uh if if somehow it was successfully conveyed to Teal'c that nobody knew where he was, nobody was watching, and nobody would ever see ever, then he would have to defend his thinking for himself alone. And that's, I think, a harder proposition to swallow than hmm. defending your position for the sake of others. Um, at least that's how I kind of like look at it and how I would have interpreted it. And so that that was one of those moments of like, you know, why did you tell everybody that everybody's looking? All you're going to do is just guarantee now that Teal'c is going to sort of hold firm because even if he dies, it's for the sake of this idea, which he believes in, um, you know, rendering this footage that you're capturing kind of useless. Um, well, I, I think that, that it has a lot. I, I think that has a lot more to do with the capacity of Teal'c to be able to to recognize who he is and recognize his self um, and uh, hold firm to that regardless of the situation. Um, I doubt that the filming one way or the other would have uh, changed the outcome of this. Uh, Teal'c wasn't going to break to this and there wasn't anything that Tarok could do to Teal'c to change that. Yeah, I agree. Teal'c is too good at knowing who he is. I'm not saying that because there was a watchful eye, Teal'c didn't break. And if there wasn't a watchful eye, Teal'c would have broke. I'm just saying that a lesser, a lesser person, a lesser hero, uh, might have broken had they not known, or had they had they thought that no one was watching. But that lesser hero would have had more resolve if they felt that the people that he or she cares about were paying attention or, you know, kind of hanging on, uh, you know, the, you know, this person's ability. I don't know. I was just, it was just a curious choice. 
Uh, uh, I, I can certainly buy that. I I, I mm. wouldn't wouldn't argue that point terribly on that one. Uh, oh, I remember there. Oh, but you were going to say something else. No, no, go ahead. All right. So back to the point of religion and yes. uh, religion within sci-fi. There was something that uh, that this episode in this series at this time in real life. Uh, I'm finding kind of interesting, but I wouldn't have thought about it had we not kind of brought it up explicitly. Uh, back in Star Trek, especially Next Gen, um, uh, religion was always written with kind of a wink and a nod. Like, either it was outright rejected as poppycock and shown as such in the episodes, or at best, it was that little backwards thing that people would do for themselves every now and again. But you know what? We're better than that. And that didn't sit well with me when I was growing up. And, uh, you know, I have since, you know, my story has taken me on paths where I don't really have that much of a dog in the fight necessarily like I did when I was growing up. But Deep Space Nine was kind of trying to play nice on that one, but kind of doing a crummy job of it. Like when they started to blend faith and science in their storyline, it got real murky real fast. And I think it kind of had a little bit to do with that notion that Star Trek kind of had been on the camp of no, really science is better for so long that when they tried to play nice, they just, I don't know. It doesn't, didn't really land really well, but Battlestar Galactica, which is still several years in our future, uh, you know, in this particular point in sci-fi, um, really did a pretty okay job, uh, blending in their story science and faith within their construct within that universe uh you know it was never really like explained the faith part was never really all the way explained there were parts about it that were um stripped away there were parts about it that were laid open like actually this wasn't what they thought it was it was this other thing but broadly speaking, there was an awful lot about it which was mysterious and remained mysterious through the whole story. And here we got a moment here in SG-1 where it's it's just a part of a conversation. It's really not deeply central to the story, I don't think. Uh, it's deeply central to what appears to be the motivation of a torturer. However, it's it's set up in a way and then... Um, talked through in a relatively short amount of time, but in a way, and then left alone in a way which doesn't necessarily tear the thing down. You know, it's kind of acting as a bit of a bridge between this Star Trek on one side and Battlestar Galactica on the other, where the Gould are not gods. They are not gods, and worshiping them as such is incorrect. But framing up a belief system and a sin concept and a consequence concept in a in a in a more or an eternal damnation concept like like this this theological structure was opened up and used in a way that wasn't really bang bang over the head and fairly well executed all things considered and then and then left alone but done so in a way that didn't necessarily require that the viewer and the show just sort of look at you and wink like look at this loony bin wink he thinks that uh he thinks that the ghouls are god and it's going to be the eternal damnation it didn't really do it like that it was just kind of set up in a way delivered and then moved along and when it comes to that i appreciate that i, I don't know i just appreciate that I, I like it when uh if 
if we're talking about science fiction and issues of faith or religion come up and you don't work overtime trying to put it in the bin of aren't these people idiots i appreciate right. that right that's what i wanted to say um i i think i would agree with pretty much everything you said there i would uh, i i would probably take some uh i, I would want to talk more about deep space nine uh, that's my favorite Star Trek, and and overall, I would say that they do a pretty good job of uh, incorporating faith, uh, at least faith of, of alien groups. That is to say, the Bajorans in the yeah. the the thing the, in a way that uh, does well. Uh, Star Trek, as a general rule, has not done well of uh, being respectful to religion. I don't think. Um, right, uh, especially the original series in Next Generation, um, right, where where they always kind of look at religion as something to, uh, well, isn't that quaint of you? Uh, right, I'll grant you that. Um, I think Deep Space Nine does a better job in that. You would argue that, and we could have a conversation about that. But this is a Stargate podcast and not a Star Trek. It's podcast, a Stargate so, podcast, That's so right. we will uh, dispense with that one at this point in time. Um, yes. But when we get to, I think you're right, in D, in Battlestar Galactica, you get a lot of smash up with religion and science uh, and them interacting in a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. uh, some ways I think it's um, odd and other ways that it makes for fascinating conversations. Mm -hmm. uh, but there is something here in this spot here and... and throughout this series is that we're not going to uh at one level they're not going to uh just subscribe to any old religion that pops in its way uh there is a respect of those who have a different religion as a general rule um but there's also this something to to give teal especially the the space to to believe as he will um without uh, causing uh, problems and whatnot. So there's a respect there yeah. that, that you get here. Yeah. I'll grant that, that, that you don't always get in Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. So, Brent, I'm looking at the time, yeah. and I'm thinking, yeah. um, we should probably move on, and I yeah. ask you that question that I ask idea. you every week, <laughs> and yep. I say, the serpent's venom. Well, now mm -hmm. I say The Serpent's Venom because this is the episode we're talking about. In in other weeks, I say something different because that's the name of the other episodes. Yes. But it would I be say funny. The name of the episode, yeah, The Serpent's Venom. Yeah. In this yeah. case, how many chevrons does it get? I I liked it. Um, I think it sets up some fun stuff. Uh, I'm finally willing to accept that Apophis is a bad guy worthy of being a bad guy within a show. I still, I, I'm still happy to bag on the origin of how he got to be so powerful, but whatever. Here he is, powerful. And as a powerful bad guy, this is what powerful bad guys do, and it was believable about the powerful bad guyness. Um, the attempt to stop the situation was plausible the uh the adventuresomeness was 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 fun um acting was good uh the it was well shot and etc etc i mean it was it was it was fine it was good um i think i'm going to give it uh, oh what the hey i'll be generous all right i'm gonna give it six out of seven chevrons um i 
it was a great 40 minutes of television. I had a good time with it. Uh, even the parts that I'm all like, meh, 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 preface. Like, you know, that's, that's just, just me holding up a bit anymore. Um, it was all right. I can't really think of anything about it that was particularly like a downer. Was it perfect television? No, it wasn't perfect television. Um, but is it a nice piece of an evolving story? Yes. And did it involve my uh, good friends, the SG-1 team, in ways that were plausible and interesting? Yeah, sure did. Uh, I... I don't have anything real negative to say about it. And since I wasn't just blown away by it, it has to hold to my rule. Six out of seven. How about you, Zach? There you go. All right. Well, um, you know, I also, like you, enjoy this episode. I think that uh, it continues the storyline pretty well. Uh, it uh, puts the situation... I like the way that it... Um, we come back to the idea that that uh, Teal'c is actively recruiting people to join his cause. Uh, mm-hmm. That's sort of something that uh, he's wanted to do from the very beginning, and we haven't really talked about that for a long time. So we come back to that. I like that. Um, the fact that he gets tortured is not so cool, but the way he handles himself while being tortured is really quite impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way in the midst of that he's able to uh, change Ragnar's mind uh, and uh, allow Ragnar to experience things in a new way is is mm. remarkable. Uh, you've also got uh, Selmak coming back, and uh, Jacob and Selmak is always a great character, and I love the yep. way that he and Jack interact with each other. This is a Jack Light episode overall. Uh, we didn't yes. talk much about him. Uh, but then you got to see... Uh, Sam and Daniel be Sam and Daniel as they work on a process and a problem and everything that's going on. So Mm -hmm. even as I was talking this through, I had a moment, I was kind of thinking, uh, I was kind of aiming at five. And then as I talked through this myself, I'm like, you know what? No, this, this actually is probably worthy of a six. So... I'm going to change my mind after I have talked myself out of a five and into a six and say Uh, six. uh, uh. Okay. And this time, it wasn't you. Sometimes people accuse me of listening to you talk, and then you give a number, and then I'm like, oh, yeah, well, Brent thinks that, so I'll think that too. This wasn't that. This was me. I was changing my own (laughs) mind. (laughs) Changing my own mind. Hey, it's our show. We can do what we want. No, but I mean, I think that that's kind of important. Like, it's quite enjoyable, this little project of ours, but one of the things that is quite evident is as we talk the thing out our appreciation of the very episode that we just got done watching evolves and it does that's kind of the point so glad glad to hear about it okay so we have some predictions brent yay yeah all right uh so our first prediction this day comes from justin hey justin justin says stab in the dark because the serpent's venom in my eye, uh, because of Serpent's Venom and... Okay, so he's... Oh, okay, I get it. He's he's stabbing in the dark because he's got Serpent's Venom in his eye and he can't see anything. Oh, oh, that's really bad, Justin. You should probably see uh, an optometrist about that or an ophthalmologist or somebody <laughs> who looks at eyeballs. Somebody. <laughs> um, somebody because, looks at eyeballs. Yeah. In any case, he <laughs> says fives from both of them. And uh, we say Yeah, sixes, pretty good guess. So. Yep, yeah, that's a good guess. Uh, both of us could easily have fallen into that five category. I think. Yep. Uh, Austin says, "Hi, Austin." Apophis is up to his usual bad-ish self. 
The baddest uh, five yes. from both of them. Nothing special here. Maybe some good character development moves along the plot, and the mine is neat, but not much else. Also, Jacob doesn't care about Teal'c. Well, I would argue about that. Uh, I, I think that it's not that he doesn't care about Teal'c, it's that he thinks that Teal'c is expendable for the sake of the greater mission, yeah. uh, which but we could have a still. conversation about that, but uh, there you go. Fives are close, though. Again, close. both of us yep. were, were in the five camp. We were. All right. Julie says. Hi, Julie. Guessing both will like it, but it's not perfect. So Zach is a five and Brent is a six, and that's super close. That is super that close. Is super close. Super duper close. Super duper close. Okay. Excellent day. Uh, we have Jacqueline now. And Jacqueline hey, says, Jacqueline. there's some character development in the episode. And again, there are a few funny moments to be found among the drama. I also love the character of Jacob. Me too, Jacqueline. Me too. I think you'll both enjoy the episode, but it won't be one of your favorites. So I'm going to say you'll give Serpent's Venom five out of seven chevrons each. Man, <laughs> these are really good predictions. It's just that we were feeling generous, apparently, so we're off. We, so, so the precision is amazing, but the accuracy, it's the accuracy. People. Yes. Yeah, um, but still good guess, though. Really good guess. Uh, Arnacht says, uh, hey, Arnacht. Arnacht, first of all, has some stuff about the curse. So he says, oh, really bad yeah. Kirk. Uh, say Brent was upset the various artifacts recovered from a shipwreck had not suffered water damage. I yes. contend that archaeologists might not transport transport such valuable relics, which might be vulnerable to moisture, airborne microorganisms, etc., in containers so poorly sealed that water could get in, especially on a voyage over the ocean, because the ocean is made of water and water is wet and papyrus doesn't like wet. So he suggested <laughs> that. Uh, uh, what they did was the reason that they aren't all water damaged is because they were all in boxes that were water tight. Fine. Fine. Um, so uh, that's certainly a possibility. I contend okay. that that, I bet you, yeah, no. Nah. I mean, or, or, yes, that is just, a, that is absolutely valid. 100% valid. I'm being a persnickety person being like, nah. I bet you that they were trying to jam them into wooden crates and being all like, it'll be fine. What could go wrong? And then the ship sank. Okay. So, shall we get to Arnak's comments about this yes. episode? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Uh, regarding Serpent's Venom, I will say that unlike some other episodes, I have seen this one relatively recently. This was mm -hmm. a pretty good episode. The minefield was a really interesting element. The contribution to the overarching plot is obvious. And the plot of the episode itself yes. is good. Of mm -hmm, course, there mm -hmm. are some issues that Brent will point out. Shifting a culture's entire numeral system by one in order to represent mm. zero works. Yes. But it's much less likely than just adding another numeral for zero. And yes, zero is necessary. We didn't actually talk about that other than I made a quip in, in the, the synopsis. It was, it, was a little, it was a little shallow. But, you know, I was yeah. willing to kind of let it go for the sake of, you know, keeping the story rolling. Right. He continues. Apophis using his own ship's armament in the minefield and then tanking the mines with his fleet was idiotic. Uh, yes. He should have used smaller ships for that plan, like the cargo ship and the towery, that the Towery and company were using, or he should have just, you know, ordered another ship to fire. Uh, of course, the counterpoint is that his ship is big and obviously special, so the, the other ship's 
might not have had sufficient weaponry to take out the target in one shot, but that still leaves the problem of Apophysis using big, expensive motherships to absorb some piddly little mines that, based on the Carter's high-stress levels, would detonate against something small like, oh, say, a cargo ship or even a yep. death glider. Uh, yep. You know, I-, I will say this about that. Um, if that minefield was an effective minefield, then any one mine isn't that big a deal. In fact, we saw that when the one mine that they programmed kind of went pew on the ship, and they're like, oh, horror attacks, that's bad. Uh, now, right. I would agree that probably the huge mothership that Apophis was was writing was probably the only one that had the firepower to take out Harrower's ship in one shot. So I think that's necessary. And I don't think that you would have been able to have enough uh, cargo ships and the like to effectively create a barrier between the mothership and the mines as what was done with all of those uh, Hatak ships that were used. Yeah. Uh, now, is that a giant waste? Absolutely it is. Yes. Yes. Could he have found a different way of doing that? Probably he could. But he's also Apophis. And if there's one thing we know about Apophis is that he doesn't really care about his minions. So uh, I thought I thought that with the thing we learned is that he's a giant waste. Hey oh no. oh, oh I just made it a Apophis joke. But yeah, no, I was I, I that was me. I, I was in your camp as well, Zach. Like it was, yeah, Arnok, you're right. That is a collo- it, it, he's willing to throw away how many? How many do we see there? Six or eight? Uh, Hatak ships, something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Because he's that wasteful. He's that. He's that glut. Or um, uh, his hubris is so large. His his he his resources are so vast right now that he's like, yeah, whatever. Eight, yep. eight, eight Hatak ships? No problem. Yes, yep. your entire existence is going to be between me, is, is to exist for brief moments between me and this entire minefield. Go. So, Arnacht finishes up. Yes. He says, other than that piece of standard issue Google tactical incompetence, this <laughs> is a pretty good episode. <laughs> I'll predict that Zach gives it five chevrons for being good but not great, and Brent gives it four chevrons for being good but including big, big, bad, bad apophis. Yeah, uh, a a fair assessment. I have decided to hang up the mantle for now, for now, of apophis is a giant nincompoop that doesn't deserve to breathe air. And I'm now in the camp of, well, if you're going to give a nincompoop that much firepower, he's going to be something to contend with. So, but nice, nice rationale. I like it. There you go. We have a prediction from Caleb. Hey, Caleb. Caleb also has some uh, comments about the curse. Uh, oh, he yes. Says, the reason I rated the curse so high is mostly because it was a story on Earth with a bit more of Daniel's past and the reveal of Osiris. It probably was bumped up more because of things that will happen in the future with Osiris. Nah, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can imagine okay. so. Yep. I can imagine so. And now yep. he predicts the serpent's nice. venom. Mm-hmm. He says it was a great episode for tech. We get to see advanced mines and cloaking of Hutoks, which, if memory serves right, we never see again. Uh, I don't recall specifically if we see cloaking Hutoks in the future or not. I don't remember. Uh, What I don't understand is how Tok'ra got a different frequency when they can't fully translate the manual. But 
That makes sense. But still a good episode. Agreed. My predictions are yeah. Zach 5 and Brent 6. Yay! So, Close wow. again! Nice! You know, if I hadn't convinced myself to go higher, a lot of people would have That's made right. it straight on. And this uh-huh, wasn't uh-huh. your fault. <laughs> and we have one more <laughs> prediction here from David. Hey, David. David says he has no funny bias buffer. Sorry. Ah. <laughs> that in itself is funny. Uh, anyway, I'm easily amused, right. though. I'll admit that. He says, good episode. Advances, apophat- advances Apophis from an I'll get you next time, villain, by showing yes. him working on accumulating power and getting everything in order rather than just attacking the Scooby gaining and failing. that it shows dissent growing amongst the Jaffa and the scales are coming off their eyes about their quote gods thanks to Teal Uh, it's a start the other character interactions are good as well it's always fun to see Daniel and Sam doing tech stuff while Jack does Jack stuff Mm -hmm. yep Yep. Brent (laughs) Jack's always fun to have around one Chevron because who knows anymore Maybe it's a seven. <laughs> it's probably actually a strong five because while good, it has Apophis, which is a minus one or something. <laughs> David, are you calling me arbitrary? Is that what you're trying to say? David Sam. is is saying that the Brent scale is hard to predict. Uh, Brent, the Brent, all you have to do is just be inside my head. It's a piece of cake. Yeah, the and, and and the fact that nobody else is inside your head, which is probably a good thing. Um, uh, you know, you don't That's actually read Facebook fault. very often, but there, they, yeah. they, there are there have been several different conversations, not just this last week, but but over the the, the months and years, uh, that have said, um, I have no idea what to do with Brent's predictions. They're all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> You have to keep in mind that sometimes his breakfast affects things, and we just That's don't the, know what he had for is, breakfast. That is true. That is true. But hey, again, you know, I mean, I I know that I know that this sounds like a shill, or not a shill, like a yeah, maybe a shill, uh, like a like a cheap ploy to to get uh, Patreon subscribers. But I'm just saying, I'm just saying, you can have your way and force me to go back. Take a look again and say, Brent, did your bit of sausage have a bit too much influence on your on your score that day, or what? You can. It's possible. Yep. You can do it. Okay, so uh, I think overall, David thinks that you're predicting a strong five, which is, which is pretty true, accurate. But you fell into the yep. six category. I fell into the six he category says, exactly. Me. chevrons for plot advancement and for a story that shows the good guys failing in their mission and making Mm. the whole Apophis situation worse. At least they saved Teal'c, though. Um, At least they saved Teal'c. There you go. Mm -hmm. So, those are our predictions. Very, very close for a lot of folks there. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. I have fun with these. Keep sending them in. Uh, These are are some of the the highlights of things. I love... Uh, reading what people have to say there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Agreed. Brent. Yes. Our next episode yes. of Stargate SG-1 is entitled Chain Reaction. Chain Reaction. Okay. And I ask you, what is this all about? 
Next time on Stargate SG-1, the SG-1 team travels through the gate to find themselves in a strange world. It is a world that seems to have a peculiarity in it that it has surveillance everywhere. So much surveillance, in fact, that they are able to find footage of horrorship as Teal'c was being tortured in the very last episode. You see, unbeknownst to the team and unbeknownst to the entire grouping of individuals present at the whatever that system was i can't remember uh the not the tolan but whatever um uh the, the actual reason why her ship was destroyed was some from something extremely unexpected we cut to another scene of another camera that seems to be focusing in on a power core that is going super critical just before the ship explodes that supercritical power core is being underfed with coolant from a pipe that is immediately adjacent to the side of the ship. That pipe is being pinched in a way that is very peculiar from an entire superstructure strut that is next to this coolant pipe. And that superstructure strut is being pulled down by a chain leading into a torture chamber. <gasps> Join us next time on Stargate SG-1 when we discover that indeed a ship was not destroyed from Apophis and his nincompoop ways, but by an unseen chain, literal chain reaction. <laughs> how? How'd I, how'd I do, Zach? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh -huh. Are we gonna? Are we gonna see? Is that what we're gonna do? Is that we're gonna we're gonna see? We're gonna see. Uh, we're gonna see how that that actually what happened was that uh, that uh, Teal'c was responsible for the destruction of the ship. Oh, uh, absolutely! You're you're 100 correct. That's exactly what see, next I episode. So we don't even need to watch David's promo because you have nailed it perfectly. I'm so happy. I mean, I'm not happy but, because but, David's but, promos are so, usually so good. So David still did really good work with this so we should still probably watch this promo we should just honor it okay all right let's just yeah. watch it okay yeah okay so let's that. watch david's promo on chain reaction okay all right i'm hitting go now next time on stargate sg1 that's effective immediately i'm stepping down as commander of the sg <gasps> General oh, no! makes a fateful decision affecting the future of Stargate Command. Why? My name is Major General Bauer. I'm your new commanding uh -oh. officer. Uh-oh. I've never met anyone who liked doing what they do more than you. You've never convinced me you just got fed up. But what is the real reason behind his departure? Yeah. We're talking about an organization as powerful as the CIA. These people are above the law. I had no choice. Huh. Who is responsible and who can Jack O'Neill turn to for help? Is that kid? Wait, maybe It's all next Kipsy. time on Stargate SG-1. Oh, are we going to have a clip show? <laughs> are we having a clip show? Well, I, that's I, the last time I saw Kinsey. Okay, I will tell you right now that you do not have to worry about this being a clip show. It is not a clip show. Okay, good. Uh, I, I will establish that right now. So, um, But beyond that, I won't say anything more. But uh, apparently Kinsey is back. 
Mayborn is back. Uh, yeah. We have Major General Bauer, who yeah. is there. Um, yeah. And we will find out next time on Chain Reaction. That has nothing to do with uh, Teal blowing up her ship. That well, was way off. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't want you to make <laughs> you feel bad. Thanks, Zach. <laughs> You're welcome. So, again, special thanks to David for putting that promo together. Yeah, thank you, David. Uh, Super we appreciate good. him. Uh, also, tell us what you think about this episode of Serpent's Venom. Tell us, tell us what you think about Chain Reaction. Tell us what you think about whatever by emailing us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com, by following us on Twitter and talking us there at Stargate Walking, or, of course, mm-hmm. going to Facebook and finding us with the Stargate Walking Through the Stargate Facebook page and Facebook group. Yes. And with that, I will say I'm Zach. And I'm Brent. And this has been Walking Through the Stargate. See you next time. Bye. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home.